Have you ever felt shy or nervous to share news about your life with loved ones or coworkers? How did those nerves change how you communicated with others? How did it impact your sense of presence or comfort even in your own skin? This episode is all about having the strength and awareness to be upfront around your intentions and not let fear creep in while carrying the torch that's behind your message. Through this conversation, you'll meet Alexis Smith. As a marketer, speaker, and entrepreneur, Alexis teaches us that owning your message is about managing expectations and how it's perceived. She reminds us that it's not all about ourselves and that there's a heavy competition and latency for when, if ever, our message is internalized by our intended audience. As we do touch on allyship in this episode, Alexis implores us to lead with love in support of one another. Enjoy the episode, share it, and leave a review on Apple, Google, and Spotify podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and visit our site at drivingambition.life. Let's not let fear creep in, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get started. Alexis, I'm so thankful to have you on the Driving Ambition podcast. Welcome. Thank you. I'm pretty stoked to be here. And fun listening to this journey. So thanks for having me on. Likewise, with your journey, we had a client rep relationship many years ago, which has certainly evolved to a very close friendship that I've cherished. And as a brand and marketing practitioner yourself and a friend, as I just made mention, I've learned so much from you. I think specifically the clarity with which you communicate and how you set upfront community, uh, sorry, upfront expectations, I should say, has helped me grow uh, as a person. And in terms of you and your work, I've observed someone who has a ridiculous work ethic, someone who's super determined, someone who's super courageous. And so I've always found you to be inspirational. So thank you again. Well, Hot damn, that's the hell of an intro. I'm glad that's recorded, but I have a bad day. I'll just like listen back to it. So thank you for that. And it's absolutely mutual. I mean, we we learn from each other. We talk about important and meaningful shit, which is awesome. And uh, in being able to talk to you about some of that stuff, I find I also get to reflect and grow and learn. Um, sometimes we need sounding boards, you know? So I feel like when we get to talk to each other, we learn from each other, but we also learn new things from ourselves just by being able to discuss stuff that matters. So um, totally mutual and thank you for saying that. Awesome, yeah, this could be like a morning affirmation for both of us perhaps. Right, I agree. (laughs) Not a bad problem to have, good friends. Exactly, good energy. For our listeners who don't know you as well as I do, who is Alexa Smith? Let's start there. This is probably the hardest question you're going to ask me today, I think, which is interesting, (laughs) especially given the topic of what we're going to discuss. But um, uh, so a little bit of professional background. I think it's important to call out that, like, you know, professional background, I think is interesting when people are listening to the discussion we're having to understand maybe some of the learning and exposure and experience I've had that's shaped some of the opinions and beliefs that I'll share today in our discussion. Um, But we are all so much more than what we do. Um, So I'll try to give a little bit of personal insight there as well. But uh, so my background is predominantly in marketing. 
Um, I'm a passionate marketer, but I had this rare opportunity to move through a bunch of different functional areas within Labatt and Anheuser-Busch over the 10 years that I worked there. Um, and that was super important, not only to my professional learning and growth and development, but super important in helping me become who I am today and who I will continue to become the continuous journey. Um, but most of my time was spent in marketing and then I had this opportunity to move from marketing leading, you know, big brands like Budweiser and Michelob Ultra and, and some of these really incredible global uh, brands and move over to the HR side, which was like a really interesting and quite frankly confusing uh, career transition for me at the time. Uh, and I became really, really passionate about it, which is how we then got the opportunity to meet because in my capacity in HR and leading employer brand and culture for Anheuser-Busch and our 34,000 employees in the US and Canada, um, I then was connected with LinkedIn and had the opportunity to, to explore all the, the great ways that LinkedIn could support our business and our initiatives that we were working on at Anheuser-Busch, pardon me. And uh, what happened in that transition, I think is an important one that uh, impacts some of the stuff we're gonna talk about today as well, which is that I was super passionate about marketing and, and selling beer. And I mean, let's be honest, it was fun, it was sexy, it was like a cool thing to talk about. There was a lot of perks, like working on Super Bowl ads and and the bigness of all of this with brands that people know and love was, was really fulfilling and really um, exciting and empowering, quite frankly, as well, to have such an influence on brands of this size and stature. Um, but it was also an interesting transition when I had the opportunity to do what I, I call, I say, I used to sell beer and now I moved to transitioning to sell life decisions. And it came at a time in my life and at a time in my career where purpose and impact you know, we're at the forefront of what, you know, drives my satisfaction and what drives my motivation of how I can contribute not only to the businesses that I work in, but how I can contribute to my personal growth and being better, how I can contribute to other people and their lives and making it better. Um, so a lot of what I worked on at Anheuser-Busch was, was culture and the employee experience and um, understanding the nuances between um, company marketing and company branding and employer brand and and beer consumer and customer brands and it's interesting because as different as they might seem there's often a lot of similarities as many people might expect as well but you know at the fundamental core of marketing and hr is an understanding of human behaviors mm -hmm. and to understand human behaviors we need to understand what makes people tick and what drives them and what motivates and inspires them and so I realized pretty quickly that whether it's trying to get somebody to buy a certain product or encouraging them to build affinity for a brand, especially over another brand, or whether it's trying to get them to feel, you know, appreciated and valued and motivated in their work and in their job, it's about understanding where are they currently, where do we hope to inspire them to get to, and how can we do that in, you know, right in an authentic and genuine way. So. Uh, I guess this is a long-winded version of saying I'm a marketer turned HR uh, professional, now have the pleasure of leading marketing for um, our talent solutions at LinkedIn. So I moved over and joined the LinkedIn community, which was um, both exciting and a huge opportunity and an evolution of, of my career. So I'm extremely grateful and you played a, a big part in that. So shout out and, and props and appreciation and gratitude to you for that. Um, so professionally, I would coin myself as a marketer, but I'm a a cultural nerd and geek, I would say as well. Um, within those two things, communication plays such an important role 
again, whether that's marketing campaigns, whether that's cascading important information to employees, whether that's having difficult conversations with senior leadership or with employees about what's working, what's not. So communications is a big part. Um, personally, I would say I'm, I'm an empath of sorts, maybe less in the, um, you know, uh, in the literal definition of it and more so in the emotional definition of it. So I feel a lot of what other people feel, mm -hmm. which is both a beautiful thing and is also a challenging thing. And I really noticed that come through when I started working in HR because I felt the weight of 34,000 people on my shoulders and, and the importance of trying to be better for them, make the company better for them, to hear them, to make them feel valued. Um, so I'm an empath of sorts, I would say. I'm, uh, I love learning. I have a major curiosity. Um, I am a bit of a growth addict, if you will. Um, growth mindset is something that I value and that I appreciate. Um, I think it's a key to longevity. Uh, I'm an avid traveler. I'm adventurous. I love to be outdoors and in nature and taking, you know, photographs and interested in, in all of those things. So for me, I'm like a creative problem solver as well. So creativity is at the core of um, what makes me tick both personally and professionally. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm social and inquisitive and, you know, not too bad, I guess. Not uh, jack of all trades, I guess. Jack of all trades, definitely Actually, master yeah. of. Mm, I think you're being <laughs> humble. I think you're being humble. You talk about empowerment. You talk about purpose and impact. I've certainly seen how you not just carry yourself, but also how you operate, how you really have embodied your care and kindness. And it's been you use the word empath, and I think you know compassion really to me sticks out because your empathy is matched with action. And, you know, you've been such an influential person in my life, specifically around owning your message. And even before the idea of a podcast arose, I thought of you and had you down on my list. And I know you were traveling, but the impact that your coaching has had on me as a friend around owning my message and helping me empower myself and how others can benefit from this, I think, especially now given everything going on in the world has never had a better time to have these types of conversations. And so let's get real specific here in your view. What does it mean to own your message and why is it important? Mm. Yeah. And thank you for saying that. It's such an honor um, to hear that from somebody that I admire and respect and appreciate so much. So um, that means a lot to me and I'm humbled to hear that it had that impact on me. So um, this is the beauty of these types of conversations. And I think an open dialogue and, and things like your podcast and this concept of driving and inspiring ambition amongst, um, amongst one another and this idea of community is that like it's mutually beneficial by definition. So some of these things, you know, are largely hypotheses. So I'll be the first one to admit that, you know, a lot of what we'll talk about today, I'm not an expert in the field. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a therapist. I'm, I'm me. And so a lot of what I talk about and share is through my own learning and growth and experience and through positive reinforcement and support and validation that I get from people like you and friends and colleagues and peers or, you know, opportunities I've had to speak at conferences or events. So 
Um, a lot of this is test and learn. So I'll just like caveat that to say these are, you know, I'm a sample size of one and these are, you know, beliefs and opinions. And I hope that what we talk about today, more than driving um, agreement, provokes thought. Um, so I guess this is me in, in a way owning my own message before I get into what that message is, is, is just calling out where my expertise lies and where it doesn't, uh, mostly where it doesn't. But for me, own your message is about, you know, there's so many things in life that we don't have control over. And I think we have the ability and the opportunity to impact a lot more than we, than we acknowledge or care to give ourselves, um, credit for. And I think part of that stems out of fear, um, which is something I've worked a lot on trying to minimize fear in my life personally and professionally, um, especially in the last year. But the reason I bring that up is because I think um, we can have an impact on a lot of things. It's just easier to make a lot of excuses than actually take action and, and confront and, and manage and deal with them. And I think own your message though, is one that um, of all the things we can't directly impact maybe or control or influence, at least not quickly, what we can impact is the way in which what we say, how we say it, who we say it to, um, and how it's perceived and what we can't fully control. So there's a difference between owning and controlling, um, which I think is important to differentiate. We can't control how people are going to perceive it, but, um, you know, we own who we are. We own what we stand for. We own our beliefs. We own uh, our opinions and how we present them. And so it's largely, I think the first step of owning your message is understanding really truly understanding at the core and doing the work for yourself of what matters to you in life, um, what matters to you in business, what matters to you in relationships, mm -hmm. uh, and how do you want to have an impact and what are you seeking? Where do you get fulfillment and purpose and intention and all of these things? Um, so the first step is understanding it yourself. Um, because if you don't understand it yourself, it's really difficult to help communicate or convey it to somebody else. And the second piece is then understanding or thinking about how somebody will perceive or receive your message. And the reason I think that's important is because we're never going to, you know, please everybody. We're never going to get everyone to agree to us. And I think, you know, setting that as a goal or an objective is unrealistic. And I believe in stretch goals, but I also believe in being an, a, a realistic optimist, if you will. Um, and so it's not about being afraid of failing. It's just about setting an unrealistic goal if you're trying to please everybody. But if you do pause for a minute and think about what's in it for you and what's in it for the audience or the other person on the other end of your message or on the other end of experiencing you in whatever capacity that is verbal or nonverbal, it's about like managing the effectiveness of how you and your message and your opinions and, and, and thoughts are perceived and, um, I think that's important. That's something that like branding has taught me a lot, right? So when we're communicating on behalf of, you know, a multi-billion dollar global brand to millions upon millions of people, we have to think about what is our intention? What do we want to convey? But how do we do that effectively? And doing that effectively is not about changing who we are to, you know, match the person that we're talking to or match the customers or the audience that we're talking to, but it is about compassion and empathy and some of the things that we started talking about. Um, 
Because if you can put yourself in somebody else's shoes and perceive it, then the way in which you approach your message to that person still in a way that's genuine and authentic to yourself um, helps you then just achieve your goal, which is to be heard and to be understood. Um, so yeah, I think it, to summarize it, owning your message is just about presenting yourself as a brand, whether that's verbally, visually, from like a body language standpoint, et cetera, and what, how you want to be known and what you want to be known for by people. And then being a true version of that, but in a way that hopefully resonates and that they can understand. They don't have to agree with it. Mm -hmm. um, they may not even accept it, um, but at least seeking to understand or seeking to uh, learn about and have an audience that's um, open and interested in what you have to say, um, I think is a really beautiful and, and powerful thing. And you've given me a chance to own my message so much. Um, it's just also very empowering. It's amazing how being you, the more you are you, yeah. the more empowers and fuels so many other aspects of your life. It's just incredibly rewarding as well. And I think if we all just took better care of ourselves, we'd be better for each other. We would, the world would be a better place if we just, you know, focused on the fact that most of us have everything we need, you know, within ourselves um, and everybody else's added value um, mm. is, is a plus. So yeah, owning your message is about self-empowerment and knowing your audience and effective communication to convey the messages that are most important to you in life. Yeah, that's so enlightening. And there's so many things that you touched on that resonate with me just listening to you as per usual. But I think of the, on the receiving end as an audience, you know, if we're referring to different facets of your audience. So if we think of interpersonal relationships, or if we think of perhaps groups or larger audiences, what's interesting with that, that we should probably touch on a little bit further is what you made mention of pertaining to it being received. And I think the other word that I think of as well is how it is internalized. And so what we can control from what I gather and what I've experienced and learned from you is we can control and empower ourselves with our message, but we don't necessarily have control over how it's internalized. And so I guess with that in mind, how do you go about checking for those internalizations with your audience, perhaps after the message was conveyed? Mm, yeah, that's an interesting one. I think the first part of it is, is an acceptance in preparing your message for whoever your audience is and re regardless of what the topic or subject of your message is, mm -hmm. is I think a lot of us take communication for granted. Mm. Um, so we all communicate, but it, it's very difficult to do it really well. And it takes a lot of internalization in ourselves, a lot of awareness, a lot of reflection, a lot of attention, um, and attention is such a important and valuable and limited resource that we all, you know, and currency that we all have. Mm -hmm. So I think the first step is to your point is knowing that it will not always be internalized, which if you set that precedent and that, sorry, it will not always be internalized in the way in which you may have intended or wanted. Right. And if you set that expectation or that acceptance with yourself early on, then I think that it makes it easier to ask why and learn 
when it's not internalized the way you may have wanted it to be because it removes some of the defensiveness because it it sort of sets an even playing playing ground um, right out of the gate. So I think one of the things is, you know, and, and some of my sales experience early on in my career taught me this. And I know as you being like an amazing salesperson, as I can, I can say, cause I was a client of yours, um, <laughs> an amazing and genuine salesperson, like anticipating objections, right? Mm -hmm. So like, what are people going to question? And, and it's not about, so removing the example of sales for a second, when it comes to interpersonal relationships or work, et cetera, anticipating objections allows you to prepare, but some, sometimes you're still going to, you're always going to have objections still. So sometimes it's not about changing people's mind. Right. It's just about preparing for them. Um, and I think that there's another piece to this, which is about being proactive versus reactive. Right. And being on the offense versus the defense. Because even if that, that word defense even has like negative connotations. And I think emotion is something that I feel very strongly belongs in every aspect of life, including in the workplace. And I think, you know, one of the one of the beautiful things that's come out of COVID and this pandemic is that I think we're we're more open to emotion. So like meetings and things are starting with conversations with people saying, How how are you doing? And it's not in the like how are you? Good. How are you? Good. You know, this auto response system that we've created socially and personally, right. where we don't even actually think about it. Um, so it's really just, you know, a checkbox exercise. Um, so I think emotion belongs everywhere, but the, the challenge with emotion or the interesting relationship and tension between emotion and effective communication or effective messaging is that it can become a detractor. And so I think that if you can, like, if you can separate emotion from the communication, it makes it easier to meet your audience where they are. And it also makes it easier to go back to the question that you asked, which was how do you then ask or understand if it has or hasn't been internalized correctly? And I think right. there's a few signs for me. One is, is it facilitating or inspiring or encouraging further conversation? Even if that's not in the form of agreement, but it's in the format of questions or asking or seeking to understand. Mm -hmm. um, that for me is like a good sign that it's being internalized the correct way because they don't have to agree with it, but they're listening. They're hearing what you have to say. Um, now I'm also using this in a, in a sense where there's two way dialogue. And I think it's super important to call out that in many opportunities or many chances, people don't have the chance to have two way dialogue, brand campaigns, et cetera. Right. While people can share their opinions and post on social um, oftentimes it's, it's more of a, a monologue than it is a two-way dialogue. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think that there's still, it's important to recognize that when you don't have that direct feedback loop and, or the immediate feedback loop, um, let's be honest, there's always a feedback loop, especially in today's world, which is the importance of proactivity versus reactivity again. Right. Um, but I think it's about like body language. It's about... Uh, somebody's attention level are they engaged and this is why make, understanding the other person helps engage them because it's like they feel like you're making it partially about them or like you understand or it's it's um one of the examples they use and i can't remember the book that i read it in but it was you know meeting people in their thinking it's about situational leadership and this idea of wearing multiple hats and if you want somebody to wear the same hat that you're wearing then you can't just hand them that hat you have to wear their hat first and then guide them 
into a new way of thinking. So if somebody's really upset about something and you're trying to change their, their mood or make them, you know, calm them down, you can't just come in calm and expect to calm them down. You need to meet them where they are, which is upset. Right. And they need to feel like you see and hear them as upset. And then you can help walk out of that mindset and energy with them. Um, but you've got to meet them where they are because that suddenly feels like you've um, removed the barriers and you've removed ego and you've removed fear and you've created the safe space and trusting environment. So yeah, internalizing it. I mean, to your point, there's a difference between people receiving your message, yeah. understanding it, agreeing or disagreeing with it and internalizing it. And I think one thing I'd call it is some, a lot of the time my goal is not to have people internalize it. Um, mm. I think it's okay for, for us to share and not expect it to be life changing for everybody. You know what I mean? Like, um, and we'd be surprised internalization as we've experienced with each other as well, sometimes is delayed. So we can talk about something today and have it be like, no, I don't get it. It doesn't resonate. That's not for me. It's not where my headspace is, et cetera, based on my mood, what happened this morning, based on where I'm at in my personal journey and growth, what's happening in the world right now that we all internalize. Um, so there's a heavy competition for internalization of what's happening around us. And so I think sometimes we have to recognize that messages can actually really be internalized so much further down the line. And that's just as valuable arguably in some cases more valuable. Like I look back on learnings I had as a kid and things people said to me that at the time I was like, what the, like, and I was upset about them. And now I look back and I'm like, Oh my God, like that's, that really stuck with me. Like I needed that. I didn't need it then I need it now. And so our brain and our emotions work, work in amazing ways where they go back and they retrieve the information when we need it. So I don't think we should strive to have people internalize even the most important things we want to say. I mean, even talking about what's happening in the world with, you know, we've all had different experiences during the pandemic and we've gone through different emotions at different times. And while it's largely a universal experience, like it's unique, we can't underestimate, like there's beauty in the, in the universality of, of the fact that we're, you know, all going through this together, but we're all going through it in very different ways. Right. Um, and it's so important to remember that both for, empathy and compassion for other people and also um, kindness and reflection and appreciation for ourselves and the way we're experiencing it um, because perspective is key. And the same thing with everything that's happening that's not new, but is, you know, getting more airtime, thank God, uh, when it comes to the racial injustice that we are seeing and have been seeing for centuries, but it feels like there's a little bit of a tipping point happening where people are talking about it. So it's going to take a while. So, so using these big macro sort of movements and, and world issues and social issues, not everyone's going to internalize it at the same time, but there's those moments where a light bulb goes off, um, which goes back to the proactivity. Cause if you can sort of anticipate any of those objections, in advance, then no matter when they decide to actually have it land and resonate, you've kind of, you've planted a seed. It's just a matter of when they nurture it to grow. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's so profound. And I'm glad that you touched on the inherent latency of the internalization, if ever it happens. And, you know, meeting the person where they're at 
because there are varying levels or sequences or sequence of events or time being elapsed where someone is more open to an idea, a concept, a message uh, versus others. And there's those that are, you know, earlier adopters and those that are laggards in terms of your audience and, and your message, uh, th- those two things connecting. And so I'm so glad you touched on that. And, you know, we right now in the U S and in North America, the focus is solely on, you know, you touched on social injustice and things that are happening and, you know, thankfully there's opportunity now to have more open discussion than ever before around fairness and equality for, for blacks specifically, and was curious to understand from your perspective as an ally, and I'm giving you the badge of ally, Alexis, um, how you have been finding your voice and seeking to own your message within this context. Yeah, this is like such an amazing question and such a, so I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. I would be remiss to say it's also, or I would be remiss to not also say that it's daunting. Mm. Um, And so in the spirit of own your message, I will call out that um, I'm learning. And I think that badge that you've generously given me is one that I will deal on a daily basis work to re-earn um, by relearning and by reevaluating myself and what's happening. And um, so I think it's a continuous journey. I would say that for allyship and I would say that for being anti-racist. So I am an anti-racist in training and I, I don't think I'll ever not be an anti-racist in training. So I say that to preface that uh, I don't know. I don't have the answers. Um, I spend a lot of time learning and reading and, and trying to educate myself better. Um, so I'll share some perspectives, but in doing that, I'm aware that there's multiple interpretations and that going back to the audience who might be listening to this, everyone has a different experience. Everyone has a different connection. Everyone is feeling this differently. Um, there are those of us that are coming from a position of privilege. Um, there are those of us that are in a position of being marginalized and disadvantaged. There are those of us that are inspired for change. There are those of us that are, you know, lacking hope and are exhausted and frustrated and angry and, and tired. Um, so knowing the, the potential for the diversity of the audience listening to this, Um, I also want to caveat that like, you know, I'm open. I want to keep learning. So if I, if I misstep or I say something in the wrong way, like I'm, I'm all ears and and open to feedback. Um, but with that caveat, um, to trying to own this, I think there's a few things for me. I think the most important one in the simplest form is to lead with love and It sounds so basic, but my God, it's clearly so hard. That's why we are where we are. That's why we've been where we've been for so long. And love is a daunting word, I think, to a lot of people. So like lead with empathy, lead with compassion, lead with humanness, lead with a willingness to like 
learn and understand. Um, but leading with love, I think, is the number one secret. Because like I said at the beginning, regardless of the topic or the subject matter, we're never going to be able to please everybody. And so for me, to answer your question on <clears throat> the journey, to answer the question on how why this is important to me and how I'm owning my message is, I've taken it very seriously to keep educating myself is the first piece. And like I said, that'll never stop. Uh, and this is a, you know, a very open and public commitment to that. Yeah. Um, and I see that as an opportunity. So thank you. Uh, first is education. The second is recognizing my position and where I am in this. And if we think about intersectionality, there's a lot of complexity to this, right? So we identify, and, and yes, black lives and the racial injustice that's been happening amongst the black community yeah. is the number one piece to talk about here. But within that is the intersectionality of all of these other marginalized groups. So whether that's immigrants, whether that's women, whether that's people of color, um, whether that's the LGBTQIA community, we have to, I think it's super important what I've been learning from all the, the amazing experts in this space that I've been listening to and reading about is understanding that these are not individual in many cases. Uh, they're amplified. But speaking to, to the black community specifically, um, there's been a lot of like, you know, um, soul searching for me and understanding where I haven't been the person I thought I was, yeah. where I haven't been as vocal or as aware or educated, um, where I haven't been contributing to a solution. And so the first step, first step was education. Second step was identification of where my gaps and biggest opportunities were and what role I think I can credibly play. And for me, I think communicating and sharing learnings and sharing perspectives is an important one. And we hear a lot of reference to like silence is violence and the importance of, you know, white allies carrying, you know, this torch and carrying this forward because the black yeah. community is tired of having to fight for it and to explain themselves and educate people. Mm -hmm. And so from my perspective, what I try to do and I will fail. I have failed. I will continue to fail, but I will continue to learn is trying to still be true to myself and who I am and not remove privileges that I have because those it, it's instead about reallocating the privileges that I have, mm -hmm. but how can I be myself truly and genuinely authentically myself while helping other people be themselves? And this is the interesting, you know, tension, especially as, as a white woman who cannot begin to relate or understand or comprehend the level to which the black community has faced injustices and discrimination and violence and hurt and pain and all of, all of these traumas. Um, but I will try and I will listen. And, um, and I will continue to try to make it approachable for people to want to learn and listen, for people to want to talk to me about it and, and 
whether that's my black friends or, you know, friends who are people of color, whether that's white friends who are like, I just, I don't know. I don't know where to start. Um, but having conversations I think is super important. So I think, you know, we hear a lot about people having and owning different lanes and the importance of different lanes as well. And I really believe in the importance of that. This is, there's not one solution to this and there is not a one size fits all model. So I try to think about the things that I love, that I enjoy, that I have some skills or talents in um, that fuels and empowers me and thinking about how I can use those things to benefit this greater good and this greater cause and, and the need that we all have for change in this area of achieving equity and liberation and justice for everyone. And sometimes that's on social media. Sometimes that's on one-to-one conversations with people. Sometimes that's in meetings. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's by joining communities or councils or diversity, inclusion, and belonging initiatives or volunteering. Um, But the point is we, we need to cover, there's too much work to do. Let me rephrase that. There's a lot of work to do. I don't like saying too much because that makes it feel daunting. Like we will figure this out. My God, 20 years ago, we didn't have the internet. You know what I mean? 30 years ago, whatever the date is, don't quote me on dates, but yeah, we created something that didn't exist. So what gives me hope for change is we can look at it two ways. We can look at how long has this already been going on without enough change. And that's really scary. And that's part of the history that we all need to acknowledge and recognize to understand the importance of moving quickly on this. Mm -hmm. The piece that gives me hope though, is that so much has changed in such a short period of time as well. So whether it's innovation, whether it's um, democratizing education and resources now granted at the cost of needing to validate the credibility of our sources and the work that comes with us having to be really analytical and critical sometimes and critical um, in, a, in an educational way, not in an attacking or judgmental way. I think that that's an important differentiation as we're reading all of this yeah. is understanding the intent. And I know a lot of sources and education on this topic talk about this intent does not equal impact. And I think this is really important to tie back to this larger theme that we're talking about of owning your message as well, because while it does not equal impact and I wholeheartedly with my being agree with that actions speak louder than words. I do also believe that intent is so important for us to try to give people who have earned that right based on consistency of what they say what they do, how they act, who they are, what their brand is, what they stand for, is trying to give people the benefit of the doubt because people are going to fuck this up. I, I have fucked it up. Um, and life and communication and experience is subjective. And so I think that like the problem is as soon as we let fear creep in, right. is the moment that people retract and they put down the torch because they're afraid to carry it because they're afraid of getting burned. And um, that takes strength. And so this is where like, I think it's super important that like, yes, first and foremost, we support the black community that we also build communities to support one another as allies. Mm 
Yes. And that the white community holds each other accountable. So, you know, I've referenced saying I'm going to screw it up and I have, I'm, you know, profoundly grateful that something that I shared on social media and Instagram was largely positively received. So I got only positive comments and until I got a negative comment. Right. And that negative comment was based on the fact that the intention behind what I shared was perceived and received differently than I had intended. Mm -hmm. And so there's a couple ways you can react to that. You can react defensively and go, well, that's not what I meant. But at the end of the day, what you meant does not change what it meant to somebody else or how they received it. Um, so it was hard. I'm not going to lie. I had a pit in my stomach because as we sit here talking about owning your message and being proactive, I probably to a fault, <laughs> in fact, definitely to a fault, sweat the details on trying to put myself in every size of shoe that I can possibly think of, of somebody that's going to receive my message. Yeah. And while I try to do that, I will not always fit in those shoes and I will not be able to walk in those shoes. And so this was a really good example of thinking, okay, my, my stomach dropped. I felt sick to my stomach because I tried so hard and I invest a lot of time and energy into being better and being an ally and, and re-earning that badge and, and being an anti-racist in training. But I'm so grateful for this white woman who is an acquaintance of mine yeah. who reached out to me and had not only the, the compassion and the commitment to this movement, but also the courage um, and took the time that it took to say to me, I don't know how I feel about this. In fact, I do know how I feel about it and I totally disagree and I don't appreciate this. And here's why. And so what I think is really beautiful and the reason I share this, which is vulnerable, to be honest, it's hard for me to share because no one likes admitting they're wrong or they've offended somebody, especially when their intention was the complete opposite. Yeah. But I'm so grateful because it's building muscle memory and it's building learning. And the more we practice things, the easier they become. And so this woman who reached out to me, the conversation then went, wow, that's not what I intended, but that's the way you received it. So this is important because if you received the message that way, how many other people interpreted it the same way you did, but just didn't speak up or didn't say anything to me. Right. Um, so thank you for taking the time. And then the conversation became, how can we collaborate? Because we both have the best of intentions. We can learn from one another. We're never going to please everybody, but like at least we can learn from it uh, and try better and harder again next time. And so I honestly think that while this was daunting and a series of emotions that happened, it was such a beautiful process to encourage. And I hope other people in sharing what is for me, whether it should or shouldn't be a vulnerable story, I hope it encourages other people to not shy away from the difficult conversations, to approach them with compassion and empathy, to approach them where applicable, there's an asterisk here. Sure giving people the benefit of the doubt um, because we're all better for it. So I will reach out. I won't name names out of, you know, respect for privacy and this other person. Um, but I will reach out to this person and, and make sure that they know that that interaction and the courage and, and compassion that she showed me um, 
helps me be a better ally and has helped me learn and grow. So I hope that others will continue to do the same. That's beautiful. And I'm so thankful for you sharing this story and the context and speaking of owning your message, the motivation and the intent behind me asking you this is twofold. One is I've always thought of you as someone who has always been courageous and we'll certainly touch on that in a second of a question for you on that. But the second is you made mention of solidarity and support of each other as allies. And I've had many conversations with my white colleagues, both male and female who, you know, are going through their own journey, whether it be self-education or um, activism or, and everything in between. And, you know, they're looking for guidance, encouragement, validation, and direction. And, you know, my message to them has been a resounding, you know, you know, I've somewhat played a role of a cheerleader, so to speak, to encourage them to continue on that path. And I think of a story that was shared with me recently of um, a colleague of mine who was white and was bringing her girlfriend to a peaceful protest. And her friend was like, I want to go, but I don't think that they want us there. And it was quite the opposite. And God bless them. They both went to the peaceful protest and they both had such an inspirational and moving experience with that community. And, you know, your message here is so important in support of them. And I do want to now turn our attention towards you and your courage. You make mention of other people being uh, courageous. And I think you have always been brave and courage. And I was kind of curious, how do you cultivate that within yourself continually? Well, I, I think I'm, I think you hit on a key message there, which is that it's a continuous effort um, and it's, it's a practice. And like everyone, I have good days and bad. And I appreciate that the perception is that I'm courageous. Um, that, that feels very validating and empowering to me. Um, so thank you. I, I, will pa- I wanna pause and say one thing before I move to me, because I think I'd be remiss to not acknowledge, like, I just wanna clarify that yeah. Well, allies need validation and encouragement. I don't want to detract from the fact that it's not about us. That's correct. And so like, let's just pause for a minute there and react to the fact that like, going back to one of the things I said earlier, this is about every life is about an understanding of human behaviors and what drives and motivates us all. So while there are so many injustices and differences in in what has been happening and what we are very much living and experiencing and talking about, I'm so glad we're talking about it. Mm -hmm. The similarity between all of us at the most basic level is the need for support, validation, encouragement. These are fundamental human needs. Correct. And so I think that like, well, I agree that allies both need that to fuel them and deserve that. I think that we need to almost find it within ourselves out of compassion and a recognition of the fact that the black community has been trying to find it within themselves for so long and to ask for it 
and demand it from all of us and has not received it. And so I think going back to owning your message, let's support one another, but let's just check ourselves as well because it's not about us. Um, so we can do that quietly. We can do it humbly, but never should it take away from the voices that have been for far too long unheard and unseen. Um, so I wanted to just like recognize in celebrating allyship, like or encouraging and championing allyship that we pause to say, we got a lot of work to do. And so I think that even celebrate is too strong of a word until we actually see measurable change. Um, so however we find fuel, we, we should, uh, let's just not forget the context here. And that is as much me saying out loud as a reminder to myself uh, and to hold myself accountable as it is to encourage and remind others of, okay, how, listen, allies are going, this is great, thank you for the courage, but the black community or marginalized groups are going, well, shit, you guys are afraid, like, welcome, like, this isn't even a taste of what I experience, you know what I mean? So, again, context, context is super useful. Yeah. Um, to the question of where I get my courage from, um, honestly, I think it's just from a learning and acceptance of understanding who I am and how I got here and what makes me who I am. And it's so cliche and, you know, sort of cheesy, I guess, in some ways to say, but I truly have experienced that the more you love yourself and the more you build confidence humbly, which is key, mm -hmm. you know, confidence, I think we often associate with the opposite of being humble. Um, but I believe true confidence that comes from within authentic, genuine confidence is, is by definition humble because it does not seek the validation of others. Um, I think that's where the line between confidence and cockiness you know, cockiness is because it's like seeking the validation of others because we don't, we're putting it on, but we don't fully believe it or internalize it ourselves. So like, man, we talked about how do people internalize your message, but it starts with how do we internalize it ourselves first? Like, do we really believe what we're saying or are we blowing smoke Yeah. to others and to ourselves? So I, I've done, I am not afraid to, you know, talk about it or admit that I've done a lot of work, whether that's, um, there's a few ways I do that. So just to be, we've talked a lot philosophically and high level, but I, you know, was in a long distance relationship and I had a lot more alone time and I thought this is a great time to invest in myself. I hope to have a family one day. And I thought, man, I'm, I'm in a relationship, but I have all this alone time. So like, I want to, what can I do to invest in me? I was living in New York at, at the time where uh, therapy is both like accepted and, uh, in fact, almost like all the rage and very much a rite of passage. and you yeah. know, a rite of passage and um, it's also available. So I, I, I invested a lot in therapy and it's not because I had a major trauma that I thought I was trying to deal with. It's because it was just, you know, it's maintenance in my mind. Um, my God, there's so many things in life that we put, we put insurance on our car. We, take our cars in for oil change. Like we, we do all of these things that are preventative for things that frankly matter. I believe in my opinion, much less than 
our health and well-being and happiness, both mentally, emotionally, physically, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I invested in learning about myself and in some cases trying to grow and change and evolve things about myself uh, and in other ways accepting things about myself. And I think it's important to have a balance between the two. So, so therapy has been an important one for me that's fueled my growth mindset. Um, travel is another important piece for me uh, where I like to travel with friends and family. I like to travel alone as well. I love to get into nature where you're hiking, you're walking, you're traveling, and you're surrounded by things that can visually stimulate you, but then create space um, to think and reflect and be and have sort of realizations. Um, Really focusing my time and energy on friends and people that inspire me and that are at a similar phase in their life that can have these meaningful discussions um, has been very therapeutic and has helped me build courage because it's like focus groups. It's mini focus groups. You know, when you message something and it doesn't land or you message it or you say it and it just doesn't even sound right coming out of your mouth, um, doesn't feel right or doesn't feel genuine. Like honestly speaking aloud sometimes is in and of itself therapeutic, just hearing ourselves and solving our own problems. Absolutely. Um, and I think that comes back to this idea of owning your message and consistency. So like one of the things that makes brands in, in the world, the most successful is consistency. So Budweiser is always the same. It's always had the bow tie. It's always crisp and refreshing, you know, McDonald's, whether you love it or hate it, you always know what to expect. Um, whether it's clothing brands, lifestyle brands, whatever it might be, these big brands, Apple, we know what to expect from them. But consistency, there's a, there's a healthy tension here between consistency and evolution. Right. And I think that's super important to call out. And I think the branding examples make it tangible for us to digest in that Budweiser in the 60s looked very different than Budweiser in the 90s than Budweiser now. And I can say that having worked on the brand. Um, And if we Google it, we can see, right? So it has remained consistent, but has evolved to stay relevant and to stay current and to be the best of itself from a branding perspective. Again, this is irrelevant to whether you love Budweiser, you drink Budweiser, et cetera, but just even looking at how it presents itself. even if we look at an evolution that was super important to me when I worked for the company and the brand, which was the role that women played in the brand. Uh, And I think the industry has a long way to go still. I think we all have a long way to go in inclusivity, whether that's gender-based, whether that's um, race-based, et cetera. But we look at the evolution in Budweiser. I, I feel confidently knowing the brand maybe more, you know, maybe it's because I know the brand so intimately, so I'm aware and cognizant that other people who have not worked on the brand may have different perceptions from a customer and consumer standpoint. But from my experience working on the brand, I'm proud of the evolution and I am more open to supporting that brand knowing that it has evolved and is a better version of itself than it was. And so I think that it's important for us to recognize that there's this interesting tension between how we remain consistent to our own brands, but we still don't limit ourselves from growing and evolving. And allyship is a very good example of that because if we only seek to be consistent, we will never change. We will never be the change. We'll never see the change that we need to yeah. um, with everything that's happening around us and has been. 
Um, so I think that's an important call out as well. Oh, this is this is such a good call out. I, it's clear that some of the topics and themes that you had touched on in terms of how you built up your confidence was born out of um, a, a healthy and humble self-love and interdependence. And to me, that's radiated and it's been inspirational in terms of my own journey. And I'm sure, you know, the relationships that you have as well, it's been infectious is probably the best word I can use to characterize that. You are available on social media and other handles, but was curious, how can people best find you? Yeah, I, um, I think the best way to probably find me is on LinkedIn. So Alexis Smith, um, and then also on Instagram, which admittedly is more of a creative outlet, a collection of personal souvenirs, uh, to be candid than it is a platform for me to talk um, about some of the intellectual topics. But I think what's important is that it's a, it's a form of self-expression. And for me, self-expression includes these intellectual beliefs and hypotheses and um, views of life in the world as well. So yeah, um, my Instagram is Lexi's POV, which is L-E-X-I-S-P-O-V. Um, so happy to, to connect with people, happy to hear other people's perspectives. Um, I think there was one other thing that I wanted to add on the topic of how did I build courage? So while I talked about self-love and personal growth, I think it's, yeah. I think it's, um, naive to not acknowledge the people around me and the validation of the people mm. around me and how they've contributed to that. Again, no matter how strong we are, it's a human need. Um, and so I think there's two ways to be inspired by this. I think one is to remember that validation to someone else can mean more than you ever intend for it to. So I think when you think, you know, personal challenge to everyone out there, the next time somebody pops into your mind and you're thinking about them or you appreciate something or you love or respect and admire something about them, like just like pick up the phone and text them or call them and tell them that because Again, whether they internalize it then in that moment or whether they retrieve that validation and that support and love and kindness at a later time, it's just, it's free and it's powerful and it goes a long way and it's been a big part of me building courage um, and you building courage and like our experience. So let's just be kind to one another and, and share that next time, let's just share the things we love and admire and respect about each other. And then let's also not be afraid to admit and tell people when it really mattered and had an impact on us because it's this beautiful cycle and loop that just, you know, takes a non-renewable resource and makes it renewable um, by sharing it. There's three areas that I think this owning your message applies to. I think it applies very much to work. It applies to relationships and it applies to purpose and a large part of purpose for me right now is allyship and, and being this, you know, lifelong anti-racist in training. And so to, to make that a little bit more tangible for people, um, maybe I'll provide three quick examples. So in yeah. work, I think when you're struggling, which I think is especially relevant during the pandemic and during COVID, and when there's something you need to be better 
personally and professionally, not being afraid to ask for it because, you know, in any setting, work or personal, but especially in work, people don't know what you need and therefore are not going to voluntarily offer it to you if they don't know. And so make it easy on them and make it easier on yourself to get what you need out of work, out of life, out of relationships by asking for it. Um, and you can ask for it in a way that's vulnerable, but own your message. Like before, if you're struggling, before your boss has to come to you and say, you know, you're checked out, or you're struggling, like step up and own it. Because I think that what happens is your boss then goes, wow, that's like really powerful self-awareness. I'm so glad you said something because you know what? Your boss is probably also, if they're a good person, especially, um, mm -hmm. is probably afraid to ask you and is afraid to approach it. Because just as scared as you are, they, they're scared because they're like, oh, I don't want to be that person that has to say this to you because um, they're dealing with their own shit. So I think there's a piece to owning your message at work. There's a piece to it in friendships and relationships. And like, I'm extremely grateful from a relationship standpoint. I, um, I recently got out of a long-term relationship that was beautiful and loving and supportive and part of the reason why we're on such good terms um, is because we owned our message with each other and we talked about what we loved about each other and what was amazing and what was missing and why. And, and it wasn't in a way like, this is what I'm missing from you. It was like, this is what I feel I need. And this is why I feel I need it. And this is why it's no longer a want for me. It's a need. Um, and so I think like in relationships, it's also important and I'm proud and this is, you know, maybe a humble brag, I guess, but I'm proud to say that um, I haven't ever ended on bad terms. I mean, when you, when you have loved somebody and, and I mean, nothing, nothing big negative happened, like we didn't hurt each other. Um, we just grew in different directions and at different paces. Um, and so I'm really proud to say that like owning that message allows you to take one kind of love and transition it to another or one kind of partnership and transition it to another kind of partnership. Um, because there's so many, there's multiple definitions of these words, right? Um, so owning your message in relationships and talking about what you need and why you need it and what you appreciate of other people, I think is super powerful to building strong connections, whether that's romantic connections and relationships, whether it's dating, whether it's reigniting a flame, whether it's a new relationship, friendships, family, whatever. Um, but I think owning that message is key there. And then also in allyship. So, you know, this is my intention. This is what I'm learning. This is what I don't know. Um, opening it up to say, I'm going to say, this is what I'm going to say, but if I don't say it in the right way, like, tell me, yeah. please. Like I'm, yeah. I'm opening up the lines of communications to say, help, help me be better. It's not your responsibility to help me be better, but I'm open to it. Um, and create space for people to help you grow. So I think owning your message can apply very tangibly in those three areas. Um, and the more you start with that, the more, you know, people also focus in on what you have to say, because when you say to somebody, listen, you're an amazing partner and you've done all of these things and I love you for these reasons. And here's what's happened in my growth and development. Here's what I've realized. They suddenly go, Oh, well, you've acknowledged me and you've appreciated me and you've heard me and you've seen me. 
So I don't need to be defensive. Instead, I can just listen. Um, and it doesn't always work perfectly, but like uh, from my experience, it has not only helped, but it's also changed the energy. And energy is magnetic. Mm-hmm. And I truly, truly feel that what you put out into the world comes back. So positive intention, positive energy, positive vibes comes back. Um, and so I hope the more that we can do that, the more we can spread and the more we can hit critical mass on things like movements and tipping points and seeing the change and being part of the change that we all want to see. Mm-hmm. So well said. And, you know, one of the things that I've been such a huge proponent of in support of what you just made mention of in the context of allyship, friendship, and even romantic relationships has been Gary Chapman's five love languages. And yeah. I think, I think that could, that could, be an episode in and of itself for sure. Uh, before we leave, what does the word ambition mean to you, Alexis? What does the word ambition mean to me? Ambition for me is about an appetite to achieve whatever that might be. And I think we often think of ambition a lot of times in a professional or a career sense. Um, and I think it absolutely applies there, but I think. Um, I think it applies on so many other things. I think it applies from a purpose standpoint, from a fulfillment standpoint. Ambition also means to me a commitment to growth and reaching your full potential. Um, And I think it's about an energy that fuels and propels you forward. And I think ambition, um, I've been reading sapiens and i've been reading a number of books over the pandemic um atomic habits and new earth etc um untethered soul to name a few uh, how to be an anti-racist um which i it's so interesting how interconnected they all are but i'm going to make a connection between a new earth and sapiens and and how to be an anti-racist and how i think that connects to ambition And I think like when we look at the evolution of humanity and as humans, the biggest strength of our group of humans, the homo sapiens uh, is the ability to empathize and the ability to see uh, this idea of consciousness Mm -hmm. to see or understand really complex concepts and philosophies that may not exist in a tangible measurable sense. And I think that um, ambition plays into that because ambition is hard to measure. And, but it's, it's there. I think a lot of us can acknowledge that it's there, even though we may not know exactly how and when to see it or how to explain it or how to make it tangible. But from an evolutionary standpoint, when we look at sapiens, it is our homo sapiens job to to own this idea of consciousness and this idea of ambition and the skill set that we have that so many animals and other species don't have. And I think that directly applies to the injustice and the imbalance and the things that we're seeing in the world. Um, and so if we're looking for ways in which to achieve that consciousness, and if we're looking for inspiration for ambition, I think it is our evolutionary responsibility and social contractual responsibility to find ambition in in reaching our fullest potential as humans um, and making the world a better place because we've done a lot to 
you know, mess it up. We've done a lot of great things. We've done a lot to mess it up as well. So um, I'm excited to see what we will all do to, to move us forward. So inspirational, so profound. I'm my head right now is just spinning with different ideas. And I mean, this is, uh, you know, one of a launch point for us in terms of how we can all own our message respectively, individually, and, and collectively. I will say, Alexis, thank you for continually being a positive energy in my life and being the fuel forward for my ambition and what I hope to be through you sharing and owning your own message through this episode that we then spread this positivity to those that are listening, looking for inspiration, looking to kind of reset and reactivate in terms of their purpose, their intentions, their motivations. And I really appreciate you hopping on to bless this podcast and this particular season. So thank you. Thank you to you and right back at you. Good vibes all around. Man. Thank you.